everyone. Uh, I'm going to uh, just tell you a little bit about who I am and where I'm from before I kind of kick off into uh, a chat about peace, a further chat about peace. Um, called Tangata is Tamonga, so uh, the Tamadua Ranges in uh, the Wairarapa and my mountains. Core Whanganui Tara is my awa. So I really identify with the south coast of, of Wellington. Uh, it's where my ancestry is, it's where my grandparents met and got married, it's where my great-grandfather passed away uh, fishing off the rocks at Island Bay. Call Kenneth Tokupapa, uh, call Carolyn Tokumama, call Libby Jane Gawa, call Leah Toku Aku Tamariki, call Masterton Aho, I was born in Masterton. Uh, in Nelly, I, I now live in Auckland, so I live in Tamaki, and Tamaki of sorts is, is a real place of home for me too, it's where my children were both born. I've been in the air for the last 20 years, and um, beyond that too, my high school years, I was, I was um, high schooled in South Auckland, anyone here from South Auckland? And yeah, so Auckland holds a lot of uh, good, good soil for me. Um, and what else can I tell you in my in my wee pipi hardia? I think that's it. Yeah, called Jacks Clark for Kuruma. I want to acknowledge too the Finua that we stand on now. So the land that we're here on now, and the people of this land and the rich soil that we stand on in terms of the, um, the kaupapa of this place. And we've heard a lot of uh, the kaupapa of this place already this weekend, people telling stories, and I had the privilege to be here last weekend too, to hear people telling stories of how they've come to faith in this place, uh, where they got some of their first uh, hearings of the gospel. And um, so I just want to acknowledge the land and not just the land of our rancho and the people of this kaupapa, but the people before um, the time of funeral of this land. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a little bit about me. I love pavlova, so just make sure that if there's any pavlova, good pavlova makers in your midst, I would love to taste it. It's a really hard question for me to answer when I'm asked the would you rather food question, would you rather eat this, your favourite food for the rest of your life will never eat it again. It's actually a really tough one for me. I do love pavlova. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a, a little bit last minute. Scotty asked if I would sort of come and, and share a bit with you. I, I was actually meant to be somewhere else. Um, but actually God has a way of working things out in our lives, hey? And, um, and I can see now that actually I needed to be here uh, last weekend and this weekend. And it's just a real joy to like come and see your Renewal community, the wider gathering of people that you are, and also to introduce my children to the kind of to the next season that I'll be moving into. Um, and that obviously brings with it real excitement on lots of levels, and also some processing that we're doing around. And this has definitely made it feel a little bit more real. So thank you for holding that for our whanau really well, and for the beautiful manaki and welcome you've given particularly to my girls. It's also awesome to have my niece with us, who is, um, who's on the journey, and I'm not going to try and draw too much attention, although they are standing up and I think recording for my older daughter. So sorry about it, girls. 
Hey, the theme this week this weekend's piece, hey, and um, my life has been um, marked by the need to really um, go deep into the pursuit of peace. And the kind of peace that surpasses our understanding in circumstances that are beyond our control at times. And when we find ourselves in places and spaces where having that level of peace that Scotty talked about yesterday shouldn't make any sense. And that also doesn't mean that I haven't had moments of deep struggle. I have not had peace where it just feels peaceful all the time. But it has been, and I can identify with Scotty's talk yesterday and Alicia's talk yesterday, it has been um, in those real moments of struggle that I have found my greatest peace. So I want to preface this by saying that. And I want to thank Alicia and Scotty for sharing really vulnerability with us, but in a way that was really wise. And um, and just to honour your stories, and thank you for sharing them with us. Yeah. So I'm talking from Ephesians 4. Um, I want to say for those who have uh, who process differently or who learn visually, now's the moment to get out your paper, your pens, to do whatever you need to do to like just stay in the room and stay with us. I need to do that when I'm listening, so do what you're going to do. Um, and I have gone with the message version of the Bible verse. I hope that's not sort of like a cardinal sin there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Is it. it. We love so it. Good. Okay, so Right. King James, only. Okay, right. <laughs> right, I'll do that next time. Or I'll never speak again. Um, <laughs> hey, so it says this, it says this, Ephesians 4, verse 1. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. I really felt that I needed to read that twice this morning, so I'm going to. And I'd like you to close your eyes. If you're up for it, if you can, and if you're up for it, I'd like you to just close your eyes. I'm going to read it once more. In light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. Lord, we're open to you and what you might want to say to us this morning. 
We worship you and we love you. Amen. When I was um, about ooh, 10, I know, cute. Imagine me, cute. 10. <laughs> no, I don't know if I was that cute, but we were just having a conversation actually. Lovely Jane has to go to high school on Friday to nine in her year nine self. And we were just wondering what that would look like. Anyway, that's, I'm going down a hole there. Um, I wrote a letter to Princess Diana. Oh, good on you. I did. <laughs> Hiring up John Stevens. Did you? <laughs> I did. I really loved Diana. Like, she was like the bomb to me. She was awesome. And I cut out Women's Day articles of her with holding Prince William and the Buzzy Bee situation. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. And I cut out magazine things and I stuck them on a piece of paper and I wrote Lady Diana a letter and I sent it to Buckingham Palace. And I got a letter back. Did you? Um, I was so excited that I got the letter back that I ripped the envelope open and broke the royal seal. And uh, the you know the envelope was just in such tatters. But I've got the letter from her lady in waiting, right? Yeah. So what comes to mind for you when you think about Lady Diana? For me, you know, there was compassion and grace, and she was the people's the princess of the people's hearts, right? So I am a little bit, I have to admit, I'm sorry, I am a little bit of a royalist. I do get quite into the, like, the whole thing and watch the whole shebang. And I got my kids up to watch Kate and William get married at four in the morning and all of that. But there's another Diana that actually links to this passage in Ephesians. Does anyone know who that was? So Paul is writing to a church in Ephesians um, that he planted on his mission. We're talking early church. We're talking first 200 years of the church after Jesus' death. And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesians. And I had no idea, but they actually worshipped Diana. Diana. Greeks knew uh, this this, uh, idol as Artemis. Uh, the Romans knew it as Diana. And Diana was um, believed to have fallen from heaven and she wasn't a very attractive looking idol. She was actually pretty horrific if you read about what she looked like. But she also, um, it was believed that she was fallen from heaven. And apparently the temple that was constructed in this place could hold over 25,000 people to worship that person. Uh, that's quite a lot of people, that's quite a lot of idol worship going on, right? So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a landing into, into where we're locating ourselves in this scripture. I'm not going to give you a big theology talk, but basically that's where we find the church in Ephesians. We find the church in this time, um, in this landscape. And I came across this really interesting reflection of this church, um, if we were to put the church, the early church into a time-lapse photography, who's into photography? If we were to kind of like put this early church into a time-lapse photography, there were some certain phases that this church, on reflection, which we have the privilege sitting here, this side of the story to know, right? These guys didn't know this, right? But we have the privilege of being able to look back and understand how the the church unfolded. There were these... um, there's these kind of um, moments of this particular church uh, 
time lapsing, if you like. The first one was um, was the the um, I'm getting there. The where am I? I had right. Um, <laughs> the planting of the church, and then there was the church needing this weeding, this kind of um, this kind of Paul and his and the way that he's speaking to the church, identifying what needs kind of. Um, to be challenged and spoken to, which we saw a little bit of Scotty doing for us yesterday. This, what, what are the things that are actually making it really hard to preach the gospel in this place? A, a weeding of sorts. There's the nurturing of the body of believers. There's the watering and the growth and the expansion. And the thing that I found really interesting as I looked into it was this place was, a, was by the sea. <laughs> and uh, it was a busy and a productive and an organised church and uh, there was a lot going on and a lot happening. And it actually became the home of, Mary, of John and then um, Mary, the mother Mary. And then, which they wouldn't have known at the time, there actually was a wilting and then a dying. That church died. And this helped me understand why the words that Paul wrote were, were actually so important to these churches, these leaders that went out to the churches, and in particular this one, help me understand why these words needed to be taken quite seriously, because this church did die. And uh, Paul's claims in this passage are, are a real claim against this idol worship, like they're a real claim against it. But they are a really good reminder of the larger story that we're all a part of in what I understand you guys today is a renewal community. Communities wanting to go out and build renewal in our churches, in our neighbourhoods. These words are really important. And you know, maybe even just in what I've just said, you might be able to identify where your faith community is, and what stage you're in. Are you in a planting stage, a sprouting stage, a weeding stage? And you know, just in some motion, you know? And we know it as part of our um, our belonging and part of the wider Anglican family, we're part of a, a, a diocese that's really taking this growth and multiplication and this recognition of being part of a church in decline. <clears throat> so I just wanted to land that with like, these words are important that Paul is saying to us, not just as our own journey as faith believers in faith, but as part of a, being connected to a much wider picture and the story of the church. And so as we think about our part in that, Paul was asking us to become a group of people who are committed to newness. And that's definitely been the story of my life, my journey so far. Um, it's one of renewal, of redemption, reconciliation, and some of that is yet to happen. It may never happen this side of heaven in some of the situations in my own life. And yet, Jesus still asks me to be a person who commits to and believes in the new and newness. Paul speaks about uh, the people of God being people committed to newness. And, um, and you know, the, the, I guess the juxtaposition of the temple idea and Paul actually calling us people to consider the inner architecture of their lives and what their common life will look like together. 
as a group of people. And then he gives us some instructions on how to do it. So, I mean, it's just a little bit of context that I wanted to name this in. So, I wanted to say that, um, that it is our common life, our starting point is our common life. It's what holds us together. And we hear words in the book of Ephesians around the spirit, around new life, around baptism. And I've heard, we've heard some of that amongst our gatherings so far today, you know. And one of the things in my own personal journey that I've come to understand through a journey of, um, we heard the word recovery from Alicia. I've also been on my own journey of recovery. My life has been extremely impacted by the effects of alcoholism and loved ones. It actually has, has led me to the rooms of a recovery group myself. Where actually I sit in the side room of a Quaker hall every Tuesday night. Unless I don't prioritise it or something else happens and I don't get there, every Tuesday night I'm committed to being in that place. And actually one of the key things in that, um, that journey for me has been around our common life. So we actually have a shared common life here. We have shared things that we hold to, that we share with one another, that are part of our expression. And Paul is saying here that's we, we need to be a people who are committed to that. That's our starting point, right? So I want to start by saying that it is a starting point. We have a common life. We're a room full of very different people, right? But actually, we do have a common life. And our common life are the, the fundamental things we know about Jesus, about new life, about baptism, the Spirit. There's the things in there that we hold together that are common. And you know, Paul was in prison for this stuff. <laughs> you know, he was speaking into a time and he was where this was not received and he was imprisoned. And I have a friend at the moment back home whose partner is on house arrest. And he is at home waiting to go into rehab. And he's on house arrest. And she's doing her best to practice the principles of her recovery while they both wait for new life. And new hope. We are a people who are waiting for new life and new hope, but both in ourselves and in the communities that we're serving and living in. So Paul wasn't just in prison because he, because of the fact he preached against you know what was going around around at the time, the idolatry. Yes, that. But also, there's a metaphorical imprisonment that Paul chooses to embrace here. He's he's imprisoned for Jesus because he's so convinced about the new life and the new hope that can come. And in encouraging his believers, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. And then he goes on to say, this is what I don't want you to do. So we're going to do the what I want you to do, but first, is that right? Right. So he says what? I want you to get up there and run and not walk. Well, walk, even better run, he says. I want you to get out there and walk, but even better run. Now, I'm not much of a runner. Used to be in my 30s. My back now pays for it badly. Used to run bush tra you know, tracks and do all. I was real fit. But actually, as I've gotten older, running doesn't do me so well. Um, so I don't know a lot about running, but I do know that there's an eagerness, right, to running versus walking. 
And I wonder if maybe this is what Paul's saying here. I just want you to be eager. I just want you to be eager about this stuff. I want you to really go after it. I want you to really press into it. I want you to really like just be eager for what you know to be true. And um, there's a period in my life where I didn't feel very eager about this. In fact, I was pretty disheartened and disillusioned. I landed in the back of an Anglican church after uh, a transition in my life, which was really painful. And I didn't know, I didn't know what I even felt about God anymore. I didn't know if I even believed God. I didn't, in the way that I'd come to know God through my um, my sort of engagement with evangelical Christianity when I was 13 onwards. But I knew there was something about my faith that I wanted my children to still be a part of. And that's where I landed. I just landed in the back of an Anglican church. I didn't even know the entertainment team to go up for communion and the one that I was in. So like the first time they offered communion, man, I just raced to the front. It was hilarious. But I landed in the back of an Anglican church and I just, I just sat. I just sat and I just, I just waited often until the kids went out and then I would wail my way through the service and then we'd go home and we'd go back again the next week and we'd do it all again. And what I discovered in that tradition was that the liturgy that we have, and it just held me in a time where I had no words for God, none. You know, yesterday we heard of Scotty's story of just sitting in this chapel and just crying and getting really honest with God. And there's an eagerness to that, you know. I want you to be eager for the, for the things of God, you know. And just allowing ourselves to be in that place. An urgency to it. And, um, and in time, I started to re-again believe the words I was saying. The liturgy just gave me words when I had none for God. And then Paul says, I want you to get out there and be to the, um, the road that I've called you to travel. What's the road? What is the road that God has called us to travel? Um, for me, first and foremost, that road has been coming to a place over a long period of time, over at least the last seven years, through pain and, and heartache and struggle and grief, I've known first and foremost that I'm beloved by Jesus, that I'm beloved by God, that I'm beloved as God's child. And uh, where this really hit me most was on a retreat that I went on myself. I've, I've kind of discovered the practice since I've been living at St. John's, which is very Benedictine in, in nature. <laughs> but I've always done this. I mean, I look back to when I was a child and I used to escape out into the bush and just sit in the bush and just sit in creation. I just loved just being in a peaceful place. Um, I took myself away on a retreat at the start of last year. And I went for a walk through the fields of the, uh, the beautiful um, Kapoor Monastery down in Hawke's Bay. Has anyone been there? Beautiful, beautiful place. And um, it was in the afternoon and it was hot. It was a hot Hawke's Bay afternoon. Many of you might know those. And I was walking through the, I wanted to find the river. I'm a river girl, Pavlova and Rivers, quite close. Um, and I couldn't get to the river. It was too high, I couldn't get down, I could see it, I could hear it, I was getting really frustrated. 
that I could not get to the river. And as I walked back up the field to uh, go back, uh, I saw this. Have you got the image there at all? Or I saw this as I was walking. And um, I was on my own. I've been on my own for probably 48 hours. And I saw this beautiful apple tree in the middle of the field. And I felt the invitation to go and sit under it. But I, I ignored it. But as I walked on further, the invitation was really strong. And so I went back and I sat under that apple tree. And, you know, don't need to tell you what I discovered under the apple tree, right? I discovered shade. I discovered rest. I also ate one of the apples, which was really good, which quenched, uh, quenched my thirst. So I went back to my room to do some Let Go Divina, which was part of the retreat in the afternoon where you just find scripture and read it again and again and see what God is saying. And I did a little bit of a search, you know, what does the apple tree symbolise in scripture? And, the, you know, obviously the first story that comes to mind is the Adam and Eve story. <laughs> um, but I discovered, you know, that there's links to the scriptures in Hosea about God calling his, uh, his people back. And actually the scriptures in Song of Solomon about, um, about there I find my lover under the apple tree. And actually the, um, kind of looking back to the, um, the root meaning of some of those words, um, the apple tree symbolises being beloved. And something in me deep, deeply responded to that, that invitation from God again to see myself as beloved, as God's beloved child. First and foremost, before anything else, our identity resting under the shade of the apple tree, knowing that we're deeply loved by God before anything else. And that my identity, I've been on a massive identity journey in my own life. I was disconnected from my whakapapa, from my whanau at a young age to escape the dysfunction in my family. And then ended up in Auckland on a, a whenua that was not my own. And wondered why for a long time I've wrestled to live in that place. But aside from all those trimmings, the invitation back to identity first and foremost. God's beloved. And I think, you know, this is the message of Ephesians. Paul wants the people of God to know and to be about this message that our identity is in, in Christ, that we're loved by God, and that we are invited to pursue that with real eagerness and to invite others into that eagerness. And what Paul says he doesn't want us to do doesn't want us to sit on our hands. Sitting on our hands means we do nothing. Just means we do nothing. Paul is um, urging us to be people of action, not inaction. Uh, in uh, my recovery group, we have a saying, participation is the key to harmony. And we're talking today about peace and how to be in peace and in unity with each other. Participation is the key to harmony. I really like that. It doesn't mean I do it all. It means I participate. I play my part. 
and we together all play a part. You know, we are to be about people as well, that, about the things that we care about. We're called to be peacemakers. Right now, I'm hearing that something like 33 countries out of 36 or something in Nigeria, is that right on the news, are covered in, in flood, flooding? Is it Nigeria? Sorry if I'm the ignorant. But there's huge flooding. Uh, we know that our ozone layer at the moment is at its most extreme. Some of us are probably feeling the effects of some of the sunburn yesterday. We know that we have a huge issue with homelessness. We know the things that as peacemakers and people of justice we're called to walk, work for. We know we, we, we are called to do that. And Paul is saying, don't be people of inaction. And he's also asking us not to stroll off, not to wander off. He said, don't go off down some path that goes nowhere. I've done that in my life and I can tell you it does not. Ever work. And the invitation is always come back to first and foremost, beloved, and then action. So, um, how are we to do it? How are we to? How how are we to be? How are we to be these people of peace? And these, are you guys with me still? We okay? I feel like I'm talking quite long. Give me a wave, Scotty, if I get too long. Um, Paul says we're to be marked by a few things. There's to be some things that mark us as these people who are able to live in unity, who strive to live in unity together. The first one is, um, is humility. Um, Scotty mentioned yesterday that we, uh, the world that we live in and the circumstances we face may never change. And humility is, uh, is one way of accepting that. Acceptance has been really big in my life. Little example, oh, it's raining today. I hate that it's raining today. Uh, oh, it's raining today. And so, uh, and humility is something that, um, that I've had to learn and I'm still trying to learn to foster in my life. Humility that comes from asking ourselves honest questions. That comes from knowing our limitations and knowing our own fallibility and checking ourselves and restraining our ego because, oh, we've all got those, right? And our need for superiority and defensiveness. Humility also means that we... Um, that we go beyond ourselves, that we become people wanting to listen and be curious and cultivate a curious, a curious spirit to be teachable. Simple things that I've learned in my own journey with God in this, and that I still have to practice every day. You might be right. Mm. <laughs> um, you know? Brene Brown talks about the shitty first drafts that we have in our lives. Don't know if you've heard about those. I'm sorry, the children in the room. The stories we tell ourselves, you know, that feed our egos. 
I might see a friend of mine walking into the room, they might look at me in a funny way and suddenly I tell myself the story that they're not happy with me. Because that's coming out of the shitty first draft of my, my life before knowing this invitation to the lightness and newness. Right? So uh, if you want to read about that, she's got some great stuff on that. Nadia Boltweber, who I have to confess is one of my favourite priests, um, she just wrote an essay recently and put, a, put, put something up online which really captured me. She said, maybe the opposite of um, fundamentalism isn't liberalism or atheism. We've got liberalism and atheism, maybe. She said, maybe the opposite of that is humility. The next thing Paul says is that we need to move steadily with discipline. If we need to get fit, we know this, it's common sense, we have to exercise regularly. And um, I'm also told though that if you want to keep a particular heart rate going, and then runners in the room, because I'm really sorry if I'm changing this metaphor. Yeah, you do need to pause right sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, some of these kind of habits that we develop um, to be able to be these people. Eliminating the hurry, I'm not sure if you've heard the book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Being here now, being just in today, pausing, and being open to God's surprises. But persisting steadily with discipline. Living disciplined lives. You know, I'm, I'll be forever grateful of my time at St. John's. Because there are rhythms, and I know some of you guys have these in your, in your real communities. And I wonder if sometimes they do feel really exhausting sometimes, or you just don't want to shout for prayers. Or, um, and there are times to take pauses, for sure. But those rhythms of life that disciplined rule of life stuff. We can, I can't say it even more clearly of how important that is for developing lives that have the stamina for this stuff. Right? That's good. Yeah? yeah. All right. Good. And even, um, you know, I, I, someone said it takes 30 minutes to create a new habit, you know? And we know about this taking your every thought captive, but like what story am I telling myself? And what is the new thing that I need to keep reminding myself and others of? And let's just keep doing those things until they become part of who we are. Yeah? Next thing is um, that Paul says that we need to be people who pour out ourselves in acts of love. We heard a story yesterday about someone who wanted to go to Rainbow's End. To me, that was an act of love. That others were willing to pour themselves out in an act of love to help that person's dream come true. It was one day. But man, you know, we heard the impact that that act of love had, right? But acts of love are not always just in big things. They're also in little things. Someone doing the dishes for your community because not everybody can get there. Someone asking if you just want a cuppa or, um, you know, 
When my children say, I'm saying it now because one of them's in the room. Mum, do you want a cuppa? Man, what an act of love. <laughs> right, right, people, right. Yeah. And I'm thinking about um, Mary of Bethany, the sister of Ma uh, Martha and Lazarus. Oh man, she got some flack for grabbing that jar of perfume. You know the story? Yeah. Pouring it all over Jesus' feet. The Pharisees thought she was nuts. And really condemned her for it. But she, in the most extravagant way, took what she had and poured it all out in worship and devotion to her God. And, you know, I think in, in work like this and mahi that we're involved in like this, it can get tough, it can get hard going, and we can become hard. And like Scotty said, we can find ways of wanting to, like, control and, um, you know, respond to the fact that the world might not change. But there's something to be said in just pouring oil sometimes. Both for ourselves, I'm going to say that, actually. There's real times for going and doing something really nice. And also for others. You know this, this invitation to pour ourselves out and act for love. I'm almost there, people. How are you doing? Great. Great. And then as we, um, as we come to a close, the final one, and this, this can be a hardy, hard, hard one, we need to be alert to differences and to quickly end our fences. I'm a farm girl at heart, but I lived in the city most of my life. And I have really good friends who live on a beautiful farm in the Wairarapa. And one, uh, one weekend I was staying there, the sheep got out. And I didn't realise it was such a big thing if the sheep got out, right? But oh, any farmers in the room? Quite a big deal if, you, if, you, if your sheep get out of the farm. So they got me out there to help, and I really didn't know what I was doing, but I put the gumboots on. Just, you know, I'm thinking I can channel my inner farm girl. <laughs> but I wasn't as good as my friend. But, you know, we needed to get those sheep back into the paddock. But more than that, their fences on their farm, if they, uh, they both have thistle and gorse growing in their paddocks. And if they actually let, if the air catches those things, and they end up in the other person's paddock, it can create havoc. Other people's thistles, other people's gorse, or their gorse or their thistles, if they get into each other's paddocks. You get the metaphor, you get where I'm going, maybe? If we don't tend to the things in our own lives, we heard Alicia talking about this, we don't tend to our own work, and we don't, um, then we can, we can cause havoc on others' lives. We can spew on each other. Who spewed on someone before? I spewed on someone. Not, not literally, sorry. We heard Scotty's moment, you know? Scotty being really real. I had a moment. And those panels were, were gone. We all have the potential and the capacity to really hurt each other. And, um, and, I, and I'm by no means perfect in this regard. I have to make quick amends to my kids on a regular basis. And we, you know, fences enable farmers to keep their crop pure 
But when a fence needs to be mended, they often have to come together to negotiate and to build the fence together. And actually, Paul is saying to us here, be really quick, be really quick to identify difference and to mend fences. Now, he's not saying we can't live in difference. In fact, we should live in difference, in my mind. It's difference which actually makes us, um, I think it's great. I think it's great to be able to hold a space of different opinions. But what I think Paul is asking, what I know has been true to be in my own life, is I've got to, I've got to look at myself and where I might need to make amends. And sometimes that's a direct amends, going to the person and actually saying, I've been wrong. But sometimes it's just in changing our behaviour once we're aware of what we're doing. This can feel like a really long list of do's and don'ts. And I don't... I don't think that's what Paul is saying or doing now. I think Paul is saying that, that, that to be committed to this the way of renewal and peace, he knows that it will probably see us through to the end. He's talking about kawa. Do you know what kawa is? Kawa is sort of the group of kind of social behaviours or ways of being together that we'll commit to. In my recovery group, we have a really solid set of guidelines around how we will be together. We know we won't have gossip. That we will keep, stick to principles above personalities. We know that we will um, hold one another's sharing uh, confidentially. That there will be unanimity that I won't go and share what someone has told me to somebody else. We have a really clear set of colour. And when I looked on your Renewal Communities page, you guys have got some aspirational colour there. And um, one of the things it says is to truly belong requires sacrifice. We seek to get along. I'll be on the small talk and into the messy corners of our lives. And we think you're not really family until you've had a good fight. That's what you guys say you are. I'm like, thank goodness, because there's bound to be a lot of fights when I get down there. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, I'm aware of my humanness and I'm aware that I'm not going to please everyone. And I know I'm going to have different opinions to other people. But you know, what we have as Anglicans is we have this common life. In this life that Paul talks to us about in this, this passage, we have commonality. And so if we choose to focus on our similarities and not our differences, then we'll be okay. doesn't mean it won't get messy at times. It doesn't mean we won't have a good fight every now and again. But we have a common way of life that Paul is uh, commending us to. So why should we be reminded of this stuff, guys? Well, we know that in the hierarchical nature of where Paul was speaking into, fam familial um, ties and bonds were huge. And so for these people, the temptation to go back to the familial relationships, the people tugging on their heartstrings, right? I have that in my own life. The pressures of society that Scotty spoke about yesterday. Our ways of coping that Alicia touched on. 
you know, we're not too, too different to the people in Ephesians. And actually, Paul is saying, yep, this is, the, this is the aspiration, but this is reality. This can happen too. To set aside and to walk this way of life is really difficult at times. And, um, and competition and ego can get in the way. I've, uh, I've walked in leadership spaces in the years that I've been a Christian and a leader, and competition is real. And ego is real. And I think just us being aware of that, I heard this quote recently that when we choose to focus on each other's, um, when we choose to focus on each other's virtues, we become competitors. So virtues being all the things that would, you know, are great about us, are good about us, are gifting, but there's potential for us to become competitors. But when we choose to focus on our vices, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we actually choose to get real, in a wise way, I'm not saying we just go around telling everybody what we're struggling with, but if we find spaces where we can be honest with ourselves, then actually we become brothers and sisters because our focus is on who we really are. And we become committed to not competing with each other. And we're given gifts for this. We're given gifts to do this. We're, given, we're all given gifts. And we're not given gifts to be in competition with each other. We're, we're given gifts so that we can become more like Christ and we can serve the communities that we've been called into to become more like Christ and to work for this idea of renewal and newness. I've had the image of Twister in my mind all week and I still don't know why. So maybe God might have a revelation for one of you in worship. You know the game Twister? Yeah, yeah. yeah the game Twister. Um, so I just said to God this morning, why have I had that picture all week? I don't know. But, you know, maybe it's the entanglement. We get a bit messy and we get a bit tangled up in trying to live this life that God has called us to. It can get messy and hard. Uncoordinated. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to work that image too far, but this idea, I don't know. It's there. Putting it out there, you know. That really went nowhere and made it pretty flat. Um, but anyway, that image has been there, this idea of Twister. And um, Paul reminds us that community can be messy and difficult. But it's still vital to our growth. And we've got different talents and beliefs and opinions, ideas, and sometimes we're going to clash with each other. And it might not be pretty, but part of living in community means embracing others just as they are and the differences of what makes God's community rich. I did write something down. The preacher does not have to look very far. In our case, not just the preacher. <laughs> None of us need to look <coughs> very far to see the destructive power of fashionism within faith groups, within nations, between nations. A lack of concern for building up the body results in suicide bombers in the midst of a congregation of prayer. Refugees on boats being thrust out to sea by the countries they're trying to reach. Or an explosion of rage, like we're saying in Russia. What might it look like if we lived worthily of the life of the one who gave himself to us and for us?
it's not easy. For me, it's very much one day at a time. But man, I want to be part of it. So the words of this song to finish, I'm just going to read them to you. It's a song you guys wrote. Would we come to be your people, O Lord? Would we lift our lives to you and seek you more? Would our hearts be one with you? Would our eyes be fixed on you? Would we come to be your people, O Lord? Oh, we long to be one. Oh, we long to be one. Oh, we long to be one. Tahora mai. Whakahora mai. Reiringi mai. Whakahora mai te mātou, ia mātou. Te te wairua. Spirit, pour out and refresh us. With your spirit, Jesus, make us new. We look forward, your beloved. Uh, I think tomorrow we're going to be having a Eucharist. And during that time of the Eucharist, uh, we have an opportunity to pass the peace. And uh, an Anglican tradition, passing the peace is rooted in scripture. It identifies us as peacemakers. And it trains our hands and our tongues in the way of peace. And as we just habitually do that in our tradition, may we become people of peace. And may we also find peace. Amen.